I'm Edda. I'm Ryan. And this is Work Feels. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we work and live on and pay our respects to Indigenous elders past and present. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the All Staff email. This is where we discuss our pursuits of a better workplace and a better world and our hot tips for life. This week, we are talking about workplace design. That's right, team. We are chatting all things workplace design, from office layouts to furniture, lighting, and even the psychology behind our spaces. But first, Edda, tell me, how was your week? I'm hoping you've gotten some more sleep recently. And how's work feeling? Look, I'm going to keep it really short and sharp because I just, (laughs) I don't want to bang on about my sleep deprivation. Um, And so what I will say is I'm no longer in that horrible uh, downward spiral. Um, Bryn is miraculously, basically overnight, just sleeping through the night. And I don't even want to say that with too much confidence or too much (laughs) excitement because I am just waiting for the day that he's going to just decide not to do that anymore. And I I just don't know if I've got one more night left in him or if I've got another week or a month. I don't know. But like I'm I'm just happy for what I've got, which is about seven nights of relatively good sleep. So I'm feeling fabulous. That's amazing. Look, I think some of the young parent listeners would be quite keen on um, this information and how you've managed to do it. So I think it was you had like the the plan, right? You had the action plan. I had the intervention plan. obviously had some benefits. Yeah. Well, the plan was not written by myself. It was written by my mum, basically. She intervened and said, here's the plan. This is what you need to to do. To the rescue. So if you have a mum or a friend who's, who has the capacity to write you a plan, I, I do, <laughs> you know, go, lean on lean on the people around you. And basically we just uh, fed him a lot of food. That turned out to be the key. He was hungry. That's and why he was sleeps. waking up so much. <laughs> and now we just hungry. stuff him full of food. He basically is like we are the parents now that just force feed our child. Like you have to finish everything. <laughs> Um, he has no interest in food, no interest in eating. And so we have every trick, you know, up our sleeve. We've got screen time. We've got dancing and singing. We've got puppets. We've got toys. Like there's about 50 toys that we pass him. <laughs> it's a full-on production. <laughs> it's a massive commitment. But uh, he fills up with lots of food and uh, and then he's been sleeping really well. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. And work's been um, so much better since I started sleeping. It makes sense, you know, more sleep, better work. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a better person. <laughs> How are you? Love it. Love it. I'm very well. Um, work is going good. Happy to report. Um, a few things that have been on, uh, have happened in the last week or so. So we've been doing a, I think I mentioned this previously on the pod, maybe we've been doing a mentoring program within, uh, within our own company. Um, which is really cool. Um, it's, and you know, quite often when you have a mentor, it's probably outside of your own uh, your own workplace. It's not usually within because you probably want to discuss things that are like perhaps a little bit personal or like, um, you know, maybe like non-work related or 
salary related or, you know, stuff that maybe you don't want to divulge to another colleague. Um, But it's really great the way they set it up that they've basically given us the space and privacy to discuss whatever we want to discuss with someone. And there's actually like kind of like a privacy agreement um, in the mentoring program that whatever you discuss can remain confidential, um, which is really cool. Um, And it's the first time I've done this thing in a formal capacity. And I think it's really interesting to have someone as a mentor in your own workplace, because I think it's good, uh, particularly for young people and then people, you know, trying to, I guess, move, move on up in your career. Um, but it's, it's been really great to kind of draw on, uh, someone's knowledge and experiences. That's sort of is a couple steps above you, not like what they intentionally did when they paired us was they didn't, you know, put like, a junior with a director because obviously that doesn't make sense. So they put you with someone who's like a couple steps above you so you can really draw on their experiences, um, you know, their tips and tricks for how they've navigated their career. Um, yeah, and it's it's fabulous. I highly recommend if anyone, you know, wants to suggest it to their workplace. Um, I think it's really great. It may, it may seem unconventional to some people, but I think it's it's really great. And I'm, I'm definitely getting a lot of benefit from it. I also went to a really great event recently. Um, we've got a really amazing associate in our office who is our First Nations lead. Um, he sent around an invite to uh, the City Talk Um, in Sydney at Town Hall, and it was all about the voice to parliament. Um, A whole heap of us from work went along. My partner, Marcus, came with me as well. Um, And the event was just mind-blowing. Sydney Town Hall, number one, is just a pretty spectacular venue. It was just such a powerful event that really gave me a more holistic understanding of the voice um, and what it was and and how it's going to function and what it means for the future. I knew a fair bit about it already, but I was definitely keen to understand it deeper. So some of the speakers were Linda Burney, who I think a lot of people may know Linda Burney. She's been on the television a lot recently. Um, Clover Moore, who's the uh, City of Sydney Lord Mayor. Love love Clover, big fan. Uh, Noel Pearson, Thomas Mayo, Kerry O'Brien, Professor Anne Toomey, Shane Phillips and Dr. Shireen Morris. So it was like star-studded lineup of speakers. It was absolutely amazing. And they really shed light on why the voice matters so much, what the voice can do, um, a lot more about the constitution, which I found interesting because it's not, the constitution is not an easy thing to understand. Like constitutional law is seriously nerdy Mm. (laughs) and like quite complex. Um, but the speakers really helped break down like the importance of enshrining, love that word, enshrining, enshrining something into the constitution to make sure it is there forever. It cannot be taken out. It cannot be changed by the government of the day. You know, it's in there forever, which I think is one of the most important messages about the voice and why we need to put it into the constitution. Did they talk much about the no campaign and sort of the the thinking behind the no campaign 
One point that is perhaps getting some genuine attention is that sovereignty and treaty should be pursued instead of the voice, but it's been made very clear that the best way to achieve these is by setting up the voice um, as a tool and a pathway to get there. Quite simply, I just think we should all be voting yes to support constitutional rights of First Nations people to create a better future for Australia. By voting yes, we permanently enshrine the voice to Parliament, which is an advisory board of First Nations people that would provide advice to Parliament and federal government, giving Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people more of a say in matters that affect their lives and communities. Being in the Constitution means the advisory board can never be taken away by government and will ensure future generations of First Nations Australians will see improvements in all aspects of their lives. This is really a long-term strategy and will create meaningful change. A really key phrase that I heard used a lot during the talk that I went to was self-determination. It's really time that the opinions of First Nations people are front and centre when it comes to issues that impact them. The voice is a part of doing just that. It's a really important change for this country and crucial for us to progress the rights of First Nations people. So please, team, vote yes, do your research, have those conversations with family and friends who might be undecided or even voting no. Um, The best things you can do in terms of resources um, and getting the message clear, head to the Yes23 campaign website. It's really great. It's got all the info you need. And check out the City Talks video from the City of Sydney Council website. We'll post a link to all of that in our show notes and pop it up on our socials as well. Yes, and if you haven't marked it in your calendars, referendum day is the 14th of October, Saturday. Head down to a polling uh, polling booth that is usually at a school, a church, a public hall near you. And the uh, polling booths will be open from 8am till 6pm on October 14. Okay, juicy updates from the news. We want to bring you the hot topics of the news that are related to work. And the first one is that female tradies are on the uprise. Previously, women have made up just 2% of people who work in trades. And we are starting to see a lot more interest from women, which is fantastic. We are also seeing uh, the government allocating money in the budget to support women in male-dominated industries and make these industries more accessible to women, which is amazing. There's also across the board more people coming back to trades and choosing a trade rather than a university degree because I think people are starting to see the benefit of starting your career without that debt and stepping into a well-paid job and like not necessarily going to uni for a piece of paper. Absolutely. I think that we are have truly, we're coming to the other side or the end of like the uni degree era being the kind of be all and end all of like jobs and education and the only pathway forward, which I think is amazing. I just love that you say that as I approach the max limit of my hex. <laughs> In the next three months, we will be not even drinking champagne. We will just be drinking like goon to celebrate me maxing my hex down. Goon! Oh my god, you'll be drinking. Um, okay, a, jungle juice. Some fine. some passion pop. <laughs> All 
All right, team. So our next article, if you work from home, office jargon could have you thinking, what the fuck? So new research by LinkedIn and Duolingo found almost half of Aussie professionals believe workers with a better understanding of workplace jargon were able to get ahead at work. The research showed some of Australia's best love jargon was lifted from cult shows like Kath and Kim, that's nice, and classic movies like The Castle. There's nothing like dropping a well-timed, tell him he's dreaming in a meeting. <laughs> I think this is hilarious and I certainly think it, it definitely affects our generation a little bit, but I think for Gen Zs entering the workplace and particularly people who maybe started their careers during COVID and weren't in an office for like two or three years and have now entered the workplace, I think it can be really confusing for when like a boomer might be using all these bits and pieces of jargon and someone will be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. So to clarify, young people are soups confused at boomers, at boomer language. Is that what this is? That's what the article is about. Basically, it's saying that if you understand more traditional office place jargon, you'll get ahead at work. I.e., if you understand what the old white guy's saying at work, he's probably going to like you more and you're going to get ahead. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for breaking that down for me. It's all rooted in the patriarchy, you know? <laughs> Okay, great. And if they drop a few more Telemies Dreaming, they might get a pay rise next week. Telemies Dreaming. You never know. <laughs> also, team, this week, the largest office building in the world was unveiled. Uh, it is by architecture studio Morphogenesis, and it's called the Surat Diamond Burse, and it's in India, and it's overtaken the Pentagon to become the world's biggest office building. It spans 660,000 square metres. Within the wings, there are, get this, 4,717 office spaces for 67,000 diamond professionals, including cutters, polishers, and traders. <laughs> This is a serious office. Um, we'll pop the link in the show notes, team, because I think it's definitely worth um, having a look at the pictures. It is absolutely mind-blowing, the scale of this office. And it's actually got some sustainability uh, design moves behind it, which I think relates to our topic pretty well of workplace design. Um, but, yeah, check out the link and the pictures are just like, whoa. Holy shit, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people in one office building. Can you imagine doing like a team lunch? <laughs> Can you imagine Friday drinks at the Diamond Factory? <laughs> the all-staff email would be quite extensive. The all-staff email to 67,000 people would be quite extensive. All right, team. So let's get into our main topic of workplace design. It's such an important topic for workplaces and it really impacts the way we feel at work. It's a topic that's ever evolving and is always able to be improved. We've gone from stuffy grey cubicles to now comfort, quiet, adaptable, lush and healthy workplaces. Well, at least in some. And we're now in an era where the physical workplace matters more than ever to attract employees back to the office when the ability to work from anywhere has become our norm. 
Yes, and particularly now that we have moved past the pandemic and workplaces are actually calling employees to come back into the office, then there really needs to be something on offer, not just come back and sit at your dusty cubicle. This episode is about how to make the interiors of an office feel great and feel like a healthy place to work where you can get the best out of people. And I think it's a lot of um, the things we we've learned, I think through the, through the panini, through the pandemic. <laughs> the panini. That... <laughs> I hear some people refer to it as like the panini, like, or it's just like some funny word because people hate saying pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> through the panini. I know. I think we've really learned that, um, there's a balance, right? We really loved, there's aspects of working from home that are just delightful, like, you know, being comfortable, but particularly about like your environment, if you are, you know, lucky enough to have an an office space or dedicated space in your home. For some people, it was a living bloody nightmare. But for some people, if you could create that, like really cut, you know, you've got your own desk, um, you can decorate it however you want. You can have a really comfy chair. You've got like soft furnishings around you. You've, you know, usually got maybe like a balcony or a backyard that you can go and sit in with some sunshine on your lunch break. A fridge that you can open and... A fridge that you can open and stock yourself. But I think there's lots of like the creature comforts at home that definitely me as a design professional, I'm, I see a lot of the workplace design post-pandemic is really influenced by the creature comforts of our home. Like that's what people want to come back to the office. They want comfortable spaces to sit in. They want flexibility. They want, you know, uh, like more natural, like lush green spaces to make you feel like you're not in this like stuffy corporate kind of soulless environment they really we've really got to bring back the soul to a not bring back I think we have to create the soul of office buildings because I think now prior to COVID it hasn't really existed and it's been a real slow burn to get people to adopt these changes so for anyone who doesn't know Ryan is actually qualified to talk about this topic uh, he's an architect unlike myself. So um, I am really excited to learn about the emerging trends around workplace design, particularly from an architect's perspective. And then I'm more than happy to share some uh, daggy workplace stories about my physical layout uh, experiences (laughs) of the past. Look, I think lived experience is very important. But without further ado, Ryan, please take the stage and let us know what are the top workplace design trends that you're seeing from from the the architect's office perspective. (laughs) All right, team. Now, I'm definitely not a specialist in this, but I do see, um, you know, a lot of commercial projects um, happening in my office. So some of the top trends are adaptable spaces and activity-based spaces. So this sort of means really flexible um, spaces that can change depending on the types of teams, the style of work you need to do, and like what kind of projects you're working on. So that can be everything from the furniture types in a room to be able to like move that all around, um, the finishes, um, you know, whether it's like a soft space, whether it's like more of a like clinical space, 
Um, it really influences, I think, how people think and how they collaborate as well. I also, I recently saw this, a demo from a, a big software company that came into our office um, of, uh, it was a demo of immersive work. So similar to, I don't know if you've seen the Apple goggles that have recently mm. come out. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. It's like very, um, you know, living in VR times. AR, VR. Um, So basically you'll be immersed in a VR like digital space and you can control your programs with more like hand gestures and like physically moving things around. And also for architecture, I was like, whoa, like being able to walk around the buildings that you design. So instead of just like staring at everything on a screen, you can be completely immersed in your project and walk around it and inside it and yeah. It's pretty mind-blowing. So I really think the, like, minority report um, kind of futuristic tech flying things around on the screen with your hand, it's really not that far away. Yeah, love that. My partner has actually seen a sort of demo of someone sitting with their VR goggles on and it's projecting the monitors. So all you need is a laptop and then you just sit at a cafe and you just put your goggles on and you've got, you know, your – one million inch wide screen with <laughs> all your tabs open. Um, so that's all the time. <laughs> um, but to be honest, like the adaptable spaces, I tell you what, kindies are ahead of their time. I take Bryn and I drop oh him gosh. off. He's got soft spaces. He's got clinical like food spaces. He's got nappy change spaces. He's got outdoor spaces and it's all like plug and play furniture and yeah oh i'm i'm loving it wow I'm loving it. we're heading fost, fost fostering his development that's right maybe workplaces are are kind of taking some inspiration from the montessori <laughs> from kindies <laughs> <laughs> so the next big topic will be uh working modes for different type of workers so i think this is really important and a lot of listeners perhaps are lucky enough to work in these kind of workplaces. I haven't yet, unfortunately. But being able to have like quiet spaces, collaborative spaces, private spaces, um, acoustically like sealed off spaces. So not only like quiet working, but like mega quiet, like where there's full on like sound insulation or like working in those like little pods and things. Um, that we're seeing more of. So that's really important for, because obviously every organization is full of the whole spectrum of different human beings and everyone likes to work in different ways. And being able to have that choice for someone who's, you know, maybe is really collaborative and really loud and wants to like have meetings with people and just like chit chat and be standing up to have spaces dedicated for that rather than it happening in an open plan office where the quiet the quiet person is just working away and is like, oh, my God, shut up. Stop having your meeting over the top of me. Um, and, you know, got their noise-canceling headphones on and just getting frustrated, rather that they can find spaces in the office to be like, no, nah, I'm going to book the desk in the, like, super silent zone and just get this done um and it helps it just helps people engage more in their jobs and again just productivity and just getting the job done in a uh, better environment basically Mm -hmm. yeah i'm the loud person that likes to have meetings (laughs) 
<laughs> by the way. I get re- I get really frustrated at the loud people who <laughs> like to have meetings. I'm like, go to a meeting room. <laughs> uh, also, reflection of culture is a really big thing. So an organization's physical space being a reflection of their values and enhancing the way their employees work to reflect those kind of core values of an organization. So if it's a brand, either like, you know, it can be everything from bringing the colors in, from bringing the the sense and the, and the visual um, links to, you know, the brand identity itself. It's also then like values based. So it's like, okay, we're a super collaborative company or, you know, we're a sports company that has, um, you know, obviously a, a highest value is people playing sport so maybe in their offices they actually have really awesome little areas where the staff can go and like you know play and like there's like recreation spaces or a beauty company has amazing you know stations where you can beautify yourself or just working in the way yeah glam stations at work or anything like that where it's bringing in, I think that's where companies are trying to get their point of difference to be like, yep, come work for us. Look how cool our office space is. Like you love our, you know, our uh, brand or our identity and our values, but we're also bringing that to you in our physical space, which is like Mm. top tier, like, you know, grade A working environment. So just beyond printing out the values on posters and putting up putting them on the walls <laughs> which i'm and sticking them to the wall i'm so glad we're done with that <laughs> but yeah no that's nice bringing it to life in a in a really interactive uh, and tangible sense it's nice and also what we've all learned through through the panini the integration of tech is something that is super duper important now so the ability for Anyone, obviously, to be able to connect with anyone in any space. Um, Obviously, digital uh, connection has become super important. It's obviously just normal now for you to have, you know, Teams or Zoom meetings all the time during the week. Um, So now there's a big push for meeting rooms and, you know, workstations and different working areas within an office layout and environment to have that connectivity just like at your fingertips, um, being able to plug in anywhere you are in the office and connect to other people or, you know, making sure even like particularly outside, um, a lot of offices obviously want, you know, beautiful interiors but they also want beautiful outdoor spaces where people can go and like not only have lunch but you can go outside and actually plug in and do some work which I think is amazing I love like there's nothing better to me than being able to like go and sit in the sun for a minute or like be outside in the fresh air and like get a get a few emails done I think that's absolutely amazing Uh, And what I think is absolutely amazing is my very most favorite thing in a workplace is a dashboard. That's a, a dashboard. What's a dashboard? Like a dashboard that is visible to everyone. Digital dashboard, whatever, huge screen or projection. Oh, of right. Like okay. With like summary stuff. Yes, yeah, summary stuff, like big picture snapshot, global view of where, yeah. where the company's stats. at. Stats. Love stats. Um, so integrating tech from the, uh, da- for the dashboard, because there's so, so often 
like dashboards are underutilized or they have very poor uptake. But I really believe it's about bringing mm. the dashboard into the physical space, not being just a URL that is shared around, that it's actually something that you kind of interact with uh, and can, yeah, can see in a life-size sense. So yeah, that makes me that makes me happy. It definitely has much more impact if it's just like physically in the space and displayed yeah, to you. Yeah. That you're like, wow, look what we achieved in the last month. Or like, yeah. oh, look how many, I don't know, look what different teams are working. Particularly for architecture, I think it's really great. Definitely the offices I've had don't have enough of it. But seeing like other people's work. Other people's work, yeah. So yeah. seeing other people's work, and I've in, I have encouraged some past managers and directors to do this, and they have, which I think was great. Is like on you know the big like meeting room or like you know break room um, TV screens or something. Just have a rolling slideshow of like recent projects and people's work because I think not only does it help you feel more like engaged with like your your office or your brand or the identity of the company as a whole but like you also feel a little bit proud especially I know in my industry when you see like you know your building come up on the screen and you're like hell yeah I've been doing that amazing work uh well-being is a massive uh topic right now so mental and physical health of employees um that can be everything from you know gyms um yoga studios spas and saunas even in offices like they are going like full-on with like being able to offer you the most amazing spaces to not only work in but then also relax um you know get your your exercise done also provide like quiet spaces that aren't just work focused so they're just general kind of like quiet spaces where you can do anything you can meditate you can do yoga people can use it for prayer you know they're like they're like really flexible spaces that help you just reset yourself um can you know before after or during work hours um it's really crucial to uh keep employees happy and healthy So, team, they are some of the biggest trends we're seeing in workplace design at the moment. Um, if you're interested to learn more, we'll drop a couple links into the show notes as well. Um, and maybe you can pass them on to your manager. <laughs> hey, time for an office renovation. It's only a budget of $1 million to, <laughs> to, to redo all this, couple, integrate tech. A couple mil. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, I mean, these are such music to my ears kind of progressive movements, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. And I would love to work in an office that has even just one of these things one day. Uh, However, (laughs) it is not the reality for 99% of people. And um, I wanted to share a story of a time where I was working in a workplace which didn't have any of these uh, and 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 was so far away from having any of these. Uh, I worked in a hospital and oh I worked gosh, in kind that's of right. <laughs> the admin sort of team, we could say. I wasn't clinical. Mm-hmm. I wasn't working with patients. I was working on a computer in a hospital. And mm. when I started on my first day, my manager – showed me to the office and said, 
Welcome. We call this the cupboard. And it was a it was honestly a storage room off one of the main hallways in this hospital. And it had been turned into an office for two people. In this office, I'm going to give you rough dimensions. I'm going to say it was three meters long by not even two meters wide, like maybe two meters wide, we could say. I think oh, I think that should be been... criminal. <laughs> yeah. I, maybe it was two and a half meters wide. Anyway, it was very, very small. So it had two desks, it had a printer, it had a filing cabinet, and it had one like storage shelf. And then two office chairs, which one was for my manager, and then the other desk was for me. And she thought it was quite funny that we worked in a cupboard. And initially, I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, when your first day, you're like, no worries, no worries. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is pretty funny. Oh, it's quite small. Yeah, yeah great. Cozy. Oh, I can get on board with this. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> yeah. Cupboard life. No worries. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And then, um, yeah, and then, you know, a few weeks into working there, I was really starting to appreciate how much the physical space has an impact on your mental health, on your physical health. Like there was no fresh air. The The air was dead in there. So like the door would be closed and then the whole day we would be in the cupboard, uh, occasionally was opening no the door. Was there no air like, conditioning vent? Was there no vent in um, the It was, but it was like circulating the same air apparently. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Um, no natural light, so no windows. This is sort of the like internal sort of the the guts of the hospital, you know, so no windows. The guts of the hospital. <laughs> That's crazy. And then when I turned around, like when I swiveled my chair, swiveling to mm. turn to face my manager, and then she would swivel her chair, like just turning on the spot to face me, our knees would touch. <laughs> And I was oh like, we, we were not best friends. We actually didn't get along at all. So to work about a meter away in a in cupboard a from room. someone in a tiny room with someone that you really do not get along with. And then if you need to talk to them and you turn to face them and they turn to face you, your knees touch. Oh, wow. it, it, it's. <laughs> So terrible. Um, so, yeah, so I worked in there for about six months and then a COVID, um, like a pandemic, a Panini uh, update came through from the, the government update. which said, <laughs> said that uh, people had to have certain amount of space around them. There was like a 1.5 meter mm -hmm. rule. Yeah. So that came in. Um, she said, no, it's fine. We just put masks on and we'll be fine. And oh, I no. basically, I basically begged the head nurse to just enforce this 1.5 meter rule. And she, and she said, yep, no worries. You guys can't work in that office together because it's too small. And they put me in another cupboard, but at least a cupboard by myself. <laughs> the silver linings of COVID. You got to go to another <laughs> cupboard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, now oh, did you did this... you do anything to improve this cupboard? Did you bring a few plants in? Did you hang did you hang any any posters on the walls? Did you? Mm, I didn't. I could have, but 
I didn't really feel safe or empowered to alter the space because of the relationship mm. that I had with this particular manager. So she was she was someone that I essentially reported to and uh and so I had to really like navigate on her terms and I just didn't feel like firstly I didn't feel like a little pot plant was going to make much difference like you know I was up shit, shit's creek or whatever. Shit's creek with no pot plants. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I think from that moment, from that experience, I am obsessed with with, with giving people design. <laughs> with giving people at least natural light and ideally fresh air and space, so Absolutely. you don't hit knees with your manager. Um, that, yeah, I think that's just got to be, that's got to be the, the starting point. And then anything beyond that is a real bonus. Absolutely. I think it's the fundamentals to productivity, to happy employees, to collaborating effectively, to retaining employees, like it all hinges on your physical space, the, um, relationships that colleagues have, like the office, like culture, the organizational psychology, like this all comes back to how we arrange these spaces, how much natural light we give people, you know, um, like flexibility and different options for different spaces. It's so important. So if you work in a workplace where you don't feel like you get adequate natural light, um, for example, it's really hard to get a lot of natural light when you work in a hospital because patient rooms are on the outside Mm -hmm. and then staff rooms and meeting rooms, they're all in the guts of the hospital. And this is often because hospital floor plates are so deep. So the hospital building itself is really, really deep. So a lot of internal program ends up having no natural light, which the trend definitely in every, every industry is pushing away from super, super deep floor plates. So you actually get courtyards and like much more like dynamically shaped buildings that allow natural light and ventilation. Yeah. So no no more cupboards, no more office cupboards. Oh, <laughs> music to my ears. An interesting insight around the design of spaces that I heard uh, just last week from a lecturer. So I'm studying psychology. One of my lecturers has done a research, um, has done an experiment to compare circular rooms with rectangular or angular rooms. And uh, this is is all under wraps, (laughs) even though I'm sharing it on the pod. Confidential on the pod. Don't tell anyone. But no. Exclusive info. (laughs) What I mean is that it hasn't been peer reviewed. It hasn't gone through like the proper process. So this is just edda with anecdotal examples. Um, But but essentially, um, apparently, maybe who knows? I may have heard that circular rooms uh, contribute to uh, people who are in inside those rooms having more creativity. And a host of other things, which I'm not going to go into, but basically the discovery was that actually being in a room with circular rounded walls was beneficial uh, to 
to sort of one's cognitive performance, uh, which is very cool, um, but I really don't feel like it's very practical. What are your thoughts on this as an architect? Like how are we going to design circular rooms? <laughs> <laughs> no, no lines, no squares. Yeah, look, I think, well, I think it's it's definitely proven from a lot of like social studies that when you gather in a circle, it's a great way to like level out hierarchy. People feel more included. Um, people feel like they can share m- more easily like across a circle rather than on like a rectangle where there's kind of like a hierarchy going on. Um But yeah, no, look, I'm a huge fan of like more organic and kind of circular spaces. I think they're really beautiful, but they're not very efficient, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) And efficiency drives architecture because it's all about the amount of materials and the amount of money that a project costs. And it's like, uh, it's running costs, you know, it's a lot more efficient to plan out, to plan out a rectangular building than a circular blobby building. Um, but it's interesting. (laughs) It's like the best ways human beings function is definitely more organic, natural spaces. And it's like the best way that, um, uh, architecture and like, and like cost functions is in a rectangular way. So I think it's about kind of like blending the two you can kind of conceal the fact that maybe a building is like a complete rectangle but when you're on the inside you can have like softer you know curved walls or you can create kind of like these cool circular spaces within a rectangular box which can kind of kind of have Mm. a totally different dynamic um especially like you know imagine having like a circular meeting room in your office that was kind of dedicated to collaborative meetings or like um presentations or you know i think it has very positive impacts to have these different kinds of spaces so i'm really glad that you brought that up because my last assignment happened to be about people coming together in a boardroom and looking at circular tables versus rectangular tables. And I had to design an experiment to see if a circular table would make people feel more included and more empowered to share compared to rectangular tables. And in my, you know, yes, that's an assignment and uh, doesn't have any outcomes so far. However, I had to do a bunch of research. uh, And one study I found showed that when you sit in a circle, and you're presented with some ideas, you're more likely to favor ideas that have a majority endorsement. So with cues that say that that a lot of people want this, um, as well as ideas that have reference to family, like family. Um, So you're more you're more likely to prefer ideas that are around family and around majority endorsement. However, if you're sitting at an angular table, you're more likely to prefer ideas that have minority endorsement and have more of a like ego-centered kind of base. So I I guess like rectangular uh, is really representing that kind of capitalist ideology. But imagine in, in Parliament where, you know, where they come to discuss 
uh, policy, that it was a massive circular mm. table rather than being a rectangular table and how that... Instead of the long rectangular yeah, table. Yeah, and would that have, like, that would what kind of implications would that have on, on the policies that, that impact mm. us? Look, basically, stuff, stuff rectangles, bring on the yeah, circles. bring on the circles. If you are buying a table, make it circular. Rethink your rectangular table purchase, team. <laughs> So team, our next app coming up is all about psychological safety at work. We'd love to hear your experiences. So please get in touch with your work stories, ideas, or even some feedback via email, hello at workfeels.com or send us a DM on the socials. We're on Instagram and LinkedIn. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. You can find us on Instagram at workfeelspod and on LinkedIn, just search for workfeels. Until next time, team, I'm Edda. I'm Ryan. And this is Work Feels.